As Rodney already said, want to want to welcome those of you who are here with us uh, in the room, as well as those who perhaps are uh, joining us via live stream this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here at New Life. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, especially in light of what we're kind of looking at these videos and pictures of things that are going on all, all the way across the world. Um, you know, my, my mind certainly has been distracted um, over the last week and just kind of find myself wanting to check news sources and find out what's going on or waking up in the middle of the night, like praying for the, the people of Ukraine. And so uh, let, let's just pause for a moment if we, if we could and, and ask God to give us the ability to just focus in on uh, his word and what he wants us to hear from him this morning. So let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we, we do come to you and at least my confession would have to be that uh, my mind is easily distracted and the affections of my heart easily sway and, and drift, God. And um, God, we, we, we pray for our brothers and sisters all the way across the world who are fleeing and suffering. And um, God, we're, we're grateful to, to hear the reports that the church is being the church in a beautiful way. Uh, God, thank you for letting us be just a very small uh, part of, of being uh, your hands and feet in that part of the world, God. We're grateful for that. We do believe, Father, that you're a good God. We believe that you're a powerful God, that you're a sovereign God. And so we do ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to protect innocent life, God. We pray that you would bring peace where it seems like peace may, may, may just feel impossible uh, from a human perspective, God. And uh, I pray for us now, our hearts, uh, that you would allow us with whatever anxieties we may have walked in here with, God, with whatever problems that we may be facing, that you would allow us to just kind of set those aside for the next 30 or 40 minutes, God, and uh, open our minds, open our hearts, open our spirits to hear a word from you. I pray that your spirit would be here among us, present, to apply these truths to our lives in a meaningful way. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Now, I think you guys would probably agree with me um, that, that all of us as human beings we, we live to please someone. There, there really are no exceptions to this statement. This is just a true statement. We all live to please someone. Now, I would argue that most people in the world live to please themselves. There are many people that live to please others, right? We call these folk people pleasers. I've had seasons in my life where I've struggled with both. To be honest with you, I struggle daily with the temptation to live to please myself. And so I think as, as someone who would describe themselves as a recovering people pleaser and someone who still struggles not to live for myself, I, I think that I, I could say with certainty that living to please self or living to please others really ultimately, and I know many of you would, would agree with me, it, it really only leads to disappointment. Like if that's the focus of your life is to live to please self or, or to live to please others around you, that will lead to disappointment in your life. It will lead to emptiness in your life. And again, I think many of you would probably confess that as well. Like, man, yeah, I, 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 I've been there in the past, or maybe I'm there right now, man. Like, I, I'm just living for myself. It's empty. Or I'm, I'm living for the approval of somebody else, maybe a parent, maybe a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a boss. And I, I'm just trying to get their approval, and, and I, I just can't, doesn't matter what I do, it just feels like I'm always trying to get their attention. And I'm miserable, I'm miserable living for myself, I'm miserable living and trying to please others. This can be crushing for us, can't it? And so I, I think the question for us then that lies before us this morning is, man, man, is there a viable alternative to living for self or living for other people? 
Like, is there a better pathway, a more fulfilling path that we can walk rather than trying to live to please self or live, or live to please others? And so if you have a Bible this morning, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, either in print or on your, your phone or iPad or whatever you've got this morning, please go ahead, open it, turn it on, head for uh, the book of First Thessalonians in your New Testament. First Thessalonians, we've been in this for a few weeks now. The Apostle Paul, if you've been around for a little while, you know for the first three chapters, what we've been in so far, he spends the first three chapters encouraging these new believers. He's just, he's, he's kind of being their cheerleader. He's like, man, you guys are doing a great job. You're following Jesus. You're being persecuted, and, and yet you're, you're holding strong in your faith. You're loving God. You're loving each other. You're impacting the world around you. Like, great job. He really encourages them heavily, the first three chapters. And what we're going to see in the last two chapters of this letter is he shifts gears to begin to challenge them. So he's going to move from encouragement to challenge. And I would argue that we, even today, this is what we need in our lives. Don't we need both of those things? We need to be encouraged and we need to be challenged. It's like food and water, right? You got to have both. You can only go so long without either of them. We need food to live and to be healthy. We also need water. We can't choose one or the other. We need to be encouraged. We need to be challenged. I can remember as a as a kid growing up, uh, distinct memories. I, I played several different sports as a kid. Um, but no, without a doubt, the coaches that had the, the most impact on my life were the ones who both encouraged me and those who challenged me, both of those together. Because the coaches who had just encouraged me, it was all just kind of like, yeah, you're great, you're doing a good job, like that, that would create kind of stagnation in performance. It was just kind of like, oh, I guess, I, I guess I've arrived. I don't need to push myself anymore. But the coaches who had only challenged me, they were just always in my grill, yelling at me. You know, that, those, those, those coaches tended to like crush my confidence. But those rare coaches who married both encouragement with challenge, like, hey, Dylan, good job, good job, but I know you got more in the tank. Man, I, I know where your ceiling is and you're not even close. I need you to give me more, man. You can give me more. Like, man, I would run through a wall for those coaches. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing for these believers and he's doing for us this morning, right? We've had three chapters of great encouragement, like, good job, keep going, you're doing awesome. And now he's ready to, to challenge us. And so that's gonna be the focus as we move forward. And so I hope you're there. First Thessalonians chapter four, we're gonna look at the first eight verses of that chapter this morning. And this is, this is how he starts. He says, finally, now that word finally is just, he's letting you know that there's a transition taking place, right? He's going from encouragement to challenge. That's not like a Baptist pastor that says finally like 13 times as he preaches, like in conclusion, and then he preaches for another 30 minutes. Not that I've ever done that, but this is not what the apostle Paul is doing. He's saying, I'm transitioning from one subject to the next. Finally then, brothers, we ask and we urge you. And so this is Paul's way of pleading with them. He's saying, guys, what I'm about to say to you is, is really important. Please, please listen, please heed what I'm about to say. We ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing. In other words, you're, you're doing it. Good job that you do so more and more. So here's the challenge part. You're doing a good job, but there's more out there for you in the Christian walk. You can go deeper. You can go further. There's more out there. I want you to press into that. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So Paul is saying, Beloved, I implore you, 
I implore you, man, you're, you're already doing this to a large degree. I applaud you, good job, but I wanna challenge you to elevate your game in how you walk with the Lord Jesus, realizing that your purpose as a follower of Christ on planet Earth is to please God. So more and more, as the, as the weeks go by and the years go by, as you mature more and more, make sure that the primary purpose of your life is living to please God, not self and not other people. You guys remember that, that meme that was super popular just a few, few years ago? It was kind of like, it, you know, it was on social media and then it was like t-shirts and everything. It was keep calm and then there was a phrase afterwards, right? So it started off as, as keep calm and carry on. Remember that? Just, it was everywhere a few years ago. And then people got really creative with it. It was kind of like, keep calm and drink coffee, right? Keep calm and hate Duke, you know, or whatever, especially after the game last night, right? Any Carolina fans in here? Yeah, so, some of y'all are happy. Any, where are the Duke fans who are mourning? Nobody's even gonna raise their hands. <laughs> oh, we got a couple of honest people. God still loves you, you know? And um, so, so it's all these weird things. Like, uh, keep calm and don't date your cousin in Alabama. That's what we had, you know? <laughs> I'm from Alabama, all right? I can say stuff like that. I'm one of them. So it was always, it was keep calm and you fill in the blank. It got very, very creative. So I would just say this. Here's our first truth this morning in light of what Paul said right there. Number one on the screens for you, keep calm and live to please God. He's saying that's the primary thing. If you love Jesus, the primary focus of your life should not be to please yourself and it should not be to please other people around you or to appease other people around you. Your primary purpose on planet Earth as a follower of Christ now is to live to please God. And so he says, watch the way that you walk. Now, now let, let me just ask you a question, maybe especially for those of you who may be watching, maybe in a room and you're just kind of on the fence spiritually. Somebody invited you or you're just tuned in or whatever it is. You're not really sure about the whole Jesus thing. What, why, why would you choose, why would anyone choose to live their lives to please God? Doesn't that just sound a little bit archaic? Like, why, why would you live your entire life to please God? Like, that almost sounds like super, like, religious, fundy, tight, like Westboro Baptist. Well, I don't live to please God, you know? Why, 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 would you, why would any reasonable, smart, intelligent, modern-day person in the 21st century make the number one priority of their entire lives to live to please God? Does that even make sense? And, and I, I just want to give you a couple of reasons that I think that it would not be foolish for you to actually do what Paul is describing here. A couple of reasons why it would not be foolish for you to live your entire life to please God. Number one, it's also be on the screen for you. It, it's only in pleasing God that we find our true selves. It's only in pleasing God that we really find our true identity. Now, I, I don't know if you've picked up on this. I, I don't know how you couldn't have unless you're living under a, a rock. But it, it seems to me that the biggest drumbeat in our culture right now is some version or variation of find your true self. Live your truth. Be true to yourself. So, something like that. And in my mind, man, the, the irony is that as a culture, the more and more obsessed we have become with finding ourselves and redefining our identity, the more and more we seem to lose ourselves and lose our identities. Like I've, I've had the privilege of living all over the world in multiple cultures and countries and man, man, I've never in my life seen a culture, a nation that is so confused over basic foundational things like identity 
and self and purpose in life. And I would argue that's primarily because we were never intended to find those things or discover those things inside of us. We were always meant to discover those things outside of us, that source being God himself. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter five. This will be on the screens for you. This is Paul writing to another church in another city called Ephesus. And this, this is what he says to them. He says, for at one time you were darkness. Now notice this. He doesn't say, for at one time you were in darkness. He says, for at one time you were darkness. That was your identity. That is who you were. You were darkness. But now because of Christ, you are light, not in the light, not walking in the light. You are light. That is who you are now. Therefore, he continues, walk as children of light because that's who you are. That's your true self. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And listen to this, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, the same language that we just looked at. See, there's this connection between our, our true selves, our true identity, and living to please God. It's almost as if our, our true self is embedded in who God is and living to know him better and to please him more. That's how he's designed us. I can remember distinctly when we moved back about a decade, over, the, over a decade now, from Asia to Asheville. I can remember uh, we had uh, our first daughter, we just had our second daughter, and so we had a two-year-old and we had an infant. We were living in this tiny little like eight or 900 foot, uh, two-bedroom duplex apartment thing. And I had the bright idea that it was time for us to buy a puppy. And so I did some research and, uh, and, and on all these different dog breeds. And I came across this dog breed. Some of y'all may have heard of it. It's called a Boykin Spaniel. All right. And these, are, these are beautiful dogs, right? They had chocolate coat. And got these piercing, like, green, yellowish eyes. And I was like, man, that thing looks awesome. And so I found a breeder in South Georgia. And so we drove all day down to South Georgia and paid hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for this puppy and drove all the way back to Asheville. And just word to the wise, never choose a dog based on how cool it looks. All right, That's a, that is a bad, bad idea. And if you know anything about Boykin Spaniels, they're hunting dogs, right? That's what they do. So, we, so just imagine, we've got this tiny little apartment and this eight-week-old hunting dog. And so that thing just went nuts, went nuclear in our house, just running around, foaming at the mouth. She had so much energy, man. She'd pee and, pee and poop all over the place. And man, I tried to train her. I did everything I knew. And every time we thought we had it licked, she'd pee, pee or poop somewhere else. And finally, my, my wife, you know, she's, she's like, dude, listen, you're, you're at work all day. I've got an infant at home. I got a toddler at home and I got demon dog at home. Like <laughs> you got to do something. Like, this is not working out. You just go to the office, and then I, here I am all day long dealing with all this junk. And so, um, you know, I got, got my dad's shotgun and took her behind the barn. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not your grandfather, okay? I'm not, I, I, I didn't do that. No, what I, what I did was I actually, I, we, we found an older couple that was retired in Raleigh, and, and they raised Boykins. And, they, and they, they, they had just lost one, so they were looking for one. And so they drove over. We gave them the puppy after six months of frustration. They took that dog back to Raleigh, and they would send us, like, pictures and videos, and that dog was a different dog. He would take it in the woods with him. He would go hunting with it. They had this huge fenced-in backyard where she could run around, and she was this completely different dog. She was happy and running around. And, and man, I was like, man, who is this dog? Right? This is not the dog that we experienced. It was only as she began to live out what she was created for, 
to run and hunt and be outdoors, that, that she really found her identity, what she was created for. She became a, a happy dog. And friend, I would just argue with you this morning that you and I were created to be with God and to please God. And we're only gonna ultimately find our true identity, our true purpose, happiness, and fulfillment in that place. The second reason that you would not be a fool to live to please God is that it's only in pleasing God that we experience real joy. It's only in pleasing God that we can experience real joy. Look at Psalm 16 to be on the screens for you. This is King David writing this. David writes this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. So, so David is saying, I, I've got the, the Lord before me. That is the lens through which I make all the decisions in my life. Like I'm always looking to please God. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My, my, my flesh also dwells secure. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, our, our joy, our happiness is tied up in, in, in knowing God and, and living to please him. Like that's how we were designed. We were only designed to, to find that purpose and fulfillment in that place. So again, I think Paul would say, keep calm, live to please God. He continues on in verse three. He says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. We'll talk about that more in a minute. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Now, people will oftentimes say to me, particularly younger folk who are maybe high school, college age, uh, young singles, they'll say, say to me some version of, I, I'm trying to find God's will for my life. I'm guessing most of you probably have said something like that. Certainly I have said uh, that before in my life. I, I remember distinctly in high school, I, I wasn't following Jesus, but there were lots of people around me, particularly in my youth group, who were trying to follow Jesus at that time. And I can remember the closer we got to graduation, the more kind of panicky people got around me, those people who were trying to follow Jesus. There was a lot of anxiety surrounding, man, where, where do I go to school? Like, how do, how do I know which college God wants me to go to? Like how, does he want me to go to Western Carolina? Does he want me to go to App State? Does he want me to go to, where, like, how, how do I choose? And the thought was, man, if, if I choose the wrong college, then I might marry the wrong person. And then somebody else is gonna marry the person I was supposed to marry. And then we're gonna have kids that we're not supposed to have. And they're gonna have kids that they're not supposed to have. And we're gonna get this whole thing off kilter gonna destroy God's plan in one fell swoop and it's all gonna be on me, right? And there was just like kind of this anxiety of like groveling, like, oh, God, I don't know, where should I go? What college should I go to? What job should I take? Who should I date? This Christian girl or this Christian girl, like whatever it was. There was all this anxiety around it. And I think Paul would say to us if he were here today, look, here's the deal. Here's God's will for your life, that you be sanctified, now that's just a big word that means becoming more like Jesus, right? Increasing in holiness over the course of your life. So do you wanna know God's will for your life? Here it is. Here's God's will for your life. 
to set you free from sin and make you more like Jesus. That's God's will for your life, to set you free from sin and make you more like Jesus. Everything else, in a sense, is window dressing. The job that you have, the house that you buy, what you eat for lunch tomorrow on your lunch break. And it's not that I, I think that God doesn't care about the details of our lives. I think that he does. I think he's involved in the details. But his ultimate will, according to Paul, for your life and mine is to set us free from sin and make us more like Jesus. Sanctification, that's what that means. I love this uh, quote from a great church father, Augustine. Put it on the screens for you. Uh, he, he writes this, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. I love that. And what Augustine was saying is, listen, guys, if you are living your lives in order to please God and you're trying to follow his ways and follow his word, you're free to do as you please. And so, you know, you see this all the time. People are like, man, do I buy, do I buy the house in Leicester or do I buy the house in Marshall? Like, like pastor, will you pray for me? Like I, I just got to discern it because I don't, man, maybe if I buy the wrong house, we're not going to be happy there. Maybe it'll burn down in the middle of the night. And I think Paul would just say, where do you want to live? Do you love Jesus? Are you following him? Are you loving people? Which one's closer to your favorite restaurant? Go with that one, you know? In other words, he's saying, I think he's saying, be free. You're free in Christ. You're not, we shouldn't be enslaved to all of these things. And so truth number two this morning, also on the screens for you, I think Paul would say to us, believer, pursue sanctification and live free, Christian. Pursue sanctification, being free from sin, becoming more and more like Jesus, and then live like the free men and women that we are. Now, what, what does this sanctification look like? I, I would start just by saying I think it's all-inclusive. I think, I think it means becoming more and more like Jesus and, and fleeing from sin more and more in every area of our lives. Now, now does this happen overnight? Like, do, do you follow Jesus and you go to sleep and you wake up and it's like, boom, no more struggle with sin. Is that the way it works? That, that certainly hasn't been my experience. You know, I've been at this for 20 plus years now. And I, if I'm being transparent, I can, I can just tell you there were certain sins in my life that as soon as I began to follow Jesus, he eradicated from my life. He just, he just killed those appetites in my life, and I'm grateful for that. There were other sin patterns in my life that he took years to root out of my life. And if I'm being honest, there are other sins still that he's working on to this day, 20 plus years later. And by God's grace, five years from now, I'll be walking in more victory, and hopefully 10 years from now, I'll be walking in even more victory but sanctification is all-inclusive. It includes every single area of our life, Re relationally, monetarily, sexually, emotionally, like all of it. Now, Paul does begin the discussion on sanctification with our sexuality. Now, why do you suppose that of all the places that the Apostle Paul could have started, he starts with our sexuality? Like, come on, Paul. At all the places you're gonna start, you're gonna start there. Like, don't you know Chris just did a whole series, ticked everybody off like two months ago on this stuff? We really got to do this again? I think Paul starts with sexuality because he knows that it's one of the things that ensnares our hearts most easily. I think that was true 2,000 years ago in a huge city like Thessalonica. I think it's certainly true 2,000 years later in a place like Asheville, North Carolina. And here's the deal. I, I've heard well-meaning Christians say to me things like, Chris, I don't, 
I don't really think God really cares what I do in the bedroom, man. Like, doesn't God have, he's got bigger fish to fry, man. Isn't he like trying to save the world and like feed poor kids and rescue the orphans? And I, I really just don't see that God really cares so much about, about my sex life. And I would just say in gentleness to that person, dear brother, dear sister, it is clear to me that you have not read the Bible very often because God has a lot to say about our sex lives. Now, if you're new here, this is your first time here, your first time online, you're probably feeling really uncomfortable right now. Like, are we, are we really talking about this in church? And I would just say, yes. Uh-huh. We have, we are, and we will continue to. Do you want to know why? Because whether you realize it or not, you are currently being discipled on the topic of sex by media and by culture. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you should realize your kid, your grandkid is being discipled, being indoctrinated on the issue of sex by social media influencers and Hollywood and maybe even their school system. And so if the church is silent on this issue, why should we ever be surprised if an entire generation seems confused on the subject? And I would just simply say, I think we have the most beautiful alternative to what the world is selling on this subject. So we cannot be silent about this any longer. I would argue we've been silent too long in the church on this issue. Now, here's here's why God has so much to say on the topic of sex. And we've said this before. Guys, listen, it was his idea. He invented it. And we've said this before. It's not like God was in heaven one day and he looked down in the garden and Adam and Eve and he's like, oh, dang, what are they doing? Jesus, get over here. <laughs> Holy Spirit, come here, man. We are gonna have to create some rules. Bunch of freaks down there. What, what, what is happening? It was his design. <laughs> it was his idea. Do you realize that he could have made it to where we procreate by like laying eggs or something? Or we just lock eyes for 45 seconds and poof, pregnant, right? He could have done anything he wanted to do. But God, in his infinite goodness, gave us a gift, something that's intimate and warm and relational and good. I think the best illustration I've ever heard about sex is that sex is like fire. Right? If, you have, if you have fire in a fireplace on a cold winter's night, it's kind of awesome, right? It's warm, it's beautiful, it's life-giving, it's romantic. But if you take that same fire and you put it on your curtains <laughs> or your rug or your couch or someplace like that, what's gonna happen? It's gonna burn your house down, man. It's gonna burn it to the ground. And sex is the same way, right? When we experience it within the boundaries, within the safety of God's design, it is like that fire in the fireplace on a cold winter's night. It's beautiful, it's warm, it's romantic, it's life-giving, it's enriching, but when we take it outside of those boundaries, it creates chaos and pain and destruction and tears and baggage. In fact, I would say probably for many of us in the room this morning, some of our most painful regrets in life revolve around the area of sexuality. Is that not true? I would just guess, maybe even for most of you, some of your greatest, most painful regrets revolve around this particular area of your life. In fact, many of you, I would guess, are still haunted to this day by something that you did in this area or something that was done to you in this area. 
It's like a fire, right? It can either be used for life or it can be used for destruction. And I want you to, I want you to understand this. I, I've said this before, but I, I really want you to internalize this. Let, let this sink deeply into your hearts. God gives us those boundaries. Listen to this. He gives us those boundaries not to restrict us, guys. Not to be a killjoy, not to take away all of our fun or anything like that. He actually gives us those boundaries to free us up, to enjoy the thing that he designed to give us the maximum amount of joy possible. Now, we could spend some time. We're not going to do this. You can go back and listen to the Good Design series. We spent some time there. We could talk a lot about uh, from a statistical standpoint, about the highest rates of satisfaction sexually being among uh, married heterosexual couples. We're not, again, we don't have time to do that today. But at the end of the day, here's, here's what I think the Apostle Paul is saying to us. Brothers and sisters, pursue purity in this area of your lives. Like, this is really important. This is actually a, a key component to living a life that pleases God, which is what you were created for. Like, you... you you ought to take this seriously. This is, this is super important. From what you look at on your phone, by the way, guys, when nobody's around, to what you do on dates, to who you flirt with at the office when you're already married to somebody else, from who you talk to on social media, especially the good old private messenger, some of you guys, I'm guessing, are probably playing with fire in this area right now in your life. And God loves you enough to have you here on purpose to hear this this morning, not because he's hateful, but because he loves you. And he loves you enough to say to you this morning, beloved son, beloved daughter, be careful. Be careful. Like, I see you toying with that sin, and, and I promise you it's not going to end well for you. Like, just, just back off from that one thing. Just flee from this sexual sin. It's not healthy for you. Like, I've, I've got a better plan and purpose for your life. Will you trust me as a good father? Now, some have asked, and it's a really good question, actually. Uh, what is sexual immorality, that terminology in the Bible, what does that mean? It's not very specific, Chris. What, what, what is that? Is that just intercourse? Like, what, 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 what does that mean exactly? In, in other words, oftentimes that question means, how far can I push the envelope before it's really sin? And oftentimes it's, it's high school kids, you know, college kids ask this question, like, how far is too far? What, is it, what does it really mean? Which, of course, I would argue is, I would argue is the wrong question to begin with. It would be like, for those of you who are married, if you're, if you're single, imagine that you're married, uh, it would be like if, you're, if, you, if you, you went to your spouse one day and said, hey, babe, um, just wondering, how far can I go with my attractive coworker before you'd be upset? How far is too far? Because I mean, she's really hot. How do you think that would go? Like, dude, if you want to live, you better not even go there, right? She will suffocate you in your sleep, Right? You don't even get, wrong, wrong question. You're starting at the wrong place. But to answer the question, the term that Paul uses for sexual immorality here, other places, we've talked about this before. It's the Greek word porneia. If that sounds familiar to you, it should. That's where we get our word pornography. 
And what that Greek word means, porneia, is any sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. It's not popular today, but that's the truth of the matter. So premarital sex, sexual affairs once you're married, homosexual sex, pornography, heterosexual sex outside of marriage. This is an all-inclusive term. And Paul is saying, be careful, all of it. It's dangerous, it's like a fire. This is a gift, but it's gotta be contained in the boundaries that will will be life-giving and safe for you. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul actually uses the word, he says, flee from sexual immorality. In other words, don't don't like quick walk away, don't don't like slow jog away, like sprint. That's what Paul is saying. Like run from it. Like this idea if you if you're like in Alaska and you're going through the woods and you you spot a grizzly grizzly bear like like 200 yards off. Like I look, I, I'm not trying to see how close I can get to that thing before it rips my head off. Like I'm not trying to get close, get a self like, let's see how, how close I can get before this thing kills me. No, I'm trying to get out of there. I'm not trying to toy. Can I get within six feet? Can I get within two feet? Can I touch it and run and not have it kill me? Paul's saying, no, 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 brother, sister. You flee from it. You run from it. You stay away from it. This is, this is part of how you please God with your walk, with your life. One more thing I want you to see before we move on. Look back at verse six. Paul says this, uh, that no one transgress and wrong his brother or sister in this matter. And then he uses so, some powerful language here because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. What Paul is saying is, especially in the body of Christ, in this setting, guys, as you look around, fellow believers, those who love Christ, we see one another not as outlets for our passions, but as fellow kingdom heirs, as brothers and sisters whom we want to protect not use. Now, Paul uses that word transgress. It, really, it literally means to cross a boundary. So it's the idea of trespassing. And Paul says, listen, I, I'm solemnly warning you about this. And know this, God is an avenger in all of these things. Now, that's, that's hardcore, man. Like, we could spend a lot of time talking about what that potentially means. Let me just say this. In other words, what I think Paul is, at the very least, the minimum of what he's saying here is that God takes this extremely seriously. If you transgress, if you violate one of his daughters outside of the covenant of marriage, if you transgress, you trespass sexually against one of his sons, this is not a light thing, regardless of what culture tells you. In God's economy, this is very serious. In the same way for me, I've, I've got two daughters, I've got one son. I promise you, any, anyone who would want to transgress, trespass, take advantage of, they would feel my fury. Not because I'm a hateful person, but because I'm a loving dad. Because I want to protect them. I want what's best for them. And God is saying, won't you trust me as your loving father? that I'm doing this to protect you, to give you maximum joy in life. Would you trust me? Would you follow me in this area? And you see, when we, when we sin sexually, we are really transgressing, wronging another person who is ultimately an image bearer of God. You are taking something, in essence, that doesn't belong to you. You say, Chris, what are you talking about, man? I'm, I'm 25, I'm 35 and 40 years old, two consenting adults. What are you you talking about? 
I would just say, sure, that's, that's what the world says. That's certainly what the culture says. But I would say, if you are a follower of Jesus, the question is not what does culture say is okay. What does the world say is okay? The question for you as a follower of Jesus, what does God think about it? What does God think about it? Because I promise you, God's mind is not changed by what your friends think or your boyfriend thinks or your girlfriend thinks. I promise you, God is not persuaded by the shifting winds of cultural opinion. And so believer, let me just say, man, let's, let's pursue purity in this area of our lives. This is one of the ways that we live a life that is pleasing to our heavenly father. And Paul closes this section of his letter with verse eight. It says this, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, Paul is kind of taking the gloves off here. He's challenging us. He's saying, listen, if you ignore this, I just want you to realize you're not blowing me off. You're blowing God off. And by the way, this is the same God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you suppose he adds in the part about the Holy Spirit? Seems a bit odd. But I think the reason that he adds the Holy Spirit to the equation here is because Paul is keenly aware that we have no chance in walking in holiness or growing in our sanctification in our own strength. Or like you can't do it on your own and I can't do it on my own. And this is where I think so many pastors, so many churches miss it. They would, they would end the message right here or they'd call the band up and they would say, all right, here's the application. You heard what Paul said, go and be holy. This week, stop sinning. <laughs> Go and sanctify yourself. And people walk out and they try harder and they work harder at it. And when they don't achieve perfection immediately in their walk, they end up walking in guilt and shame and condemnation in life. And yet, Romans 8 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, you have been blood-bought. You have been redeemed. You have been set free. The word says that your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. But in that same breath, the only way that we can really live this kind of life that's pleasing to God is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And in those moments of weakness and temptation, brothers and sisters, we literally have to learn how to pray, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me in this moment. Like, I, I, my flesh wants this thing, but my spirit doesn't because I know it's not pleasing to you. Like, Holy Spirit, please help me right now. And even learning how to, to pray to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to have wisdom to set up guardrails in my life that make it harder for me to fall in these areas? Some of you, I, maybe even all of you, should you should have internet filters on all your devices, your phones, your laptops, your iPad. Oh, we got it on ours, right? And there's lots of stuff out there. Covenant eyes, canopy, all kinds of stuff. For some of you guys who are younger, you're dating, maybe you're older and you're dating again. Commitments not to be alone with your boyfriend, girlfriend. And we're gonna, we're gonna date publicly. Like we're, we're gonna go to restaurants and movie theaters and if we're gonna watch a movie, in my apartment, then we're gonna have friends over with us or we're gonna invite my parents over. For sure, nothing's gonna happen then, right? But putting those safeguards around your life, maybe it's, maybe it's deleting that phone number and your cell phone from your ex that you really shouldn't have in there anymore. Maybe it's unfriending that person on social media that you know you shouldn't be following. 
All I'm trying to say, brother and sister, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. The Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. And just remember, you can't do this on your own. Don't hear me saying, you gotta walk out of here and accomplish this on your own. You can't, I'm just, I'm, I'm, spoiler alert, you can't. You've gotta press into the power of the Holy Spirit to walk this out. This is a, this is a partnership. God's gonna play his part. You've gotta do your role as well. So friends, let's begin to focus on living our lives to please God, inviting the Holy Spirit in every single day, every single hour of our lives to help us live this out. We wake up tomorrow, our eyes open, our our feet hit the floor, maybe just asking the question, God, how can I please you today? Like, how would your life be different next week if you asked that every single day? That's how you start the day. Not, God, how can I please myself? God, how can I get what, what I want from my spouse? God, how can, I, how can I get the affirmation from my boss? God, how can I please you today? Like, who do I need to be praying for? Who do, I need to, who, do I, who do I need to love this week? What safeguards do I need to put up so I don't stumble in the area of sexuality in my own personal life? Man, how, how can my life be a picture to the world around me of the goodness and greatness of Jesus? Listen, guys, this is the life that is pleasing to God. It's good for us paints a picture to the world of how good Jesus is. So by God's grace, let's live this life this week. Let's pray as the band comes. God, we, we come to you. <clears throat> We're grateful for the truthfulness of your word, which both encourages us and challenges us. Thank, thank you, God, that it's not uh, unbalanced, that you don't just give us one or the other. You, you know us because you designed us. You know that we need both. We need to be both encouraged and challenged. And so we thank you for this challenging word from 1 Thessalonians, God. Would you remind us that our primary purpose in life, if we're in Christ, is not to please ourselves. It's not to live for the approval of other people. That like, Really, the only thing that we're here on planet Earth for in a real sense is to please you. God, would you, would you help us? Would you teach us not to walk in the flesh, not to try to accomplish what you're calling us to do in our own strength, God, but would you, would you teach us how to walk by the Spirit every day in those moments to have that constant conversation with you? Holy Spirit, help me now. Help me as I walk into this situation. Help me as I walk into this circumstance. Help me to honor you in my thought processes. God, th- help, help, me, help, me to, help me to honor you in what I say. Help me to honor you in, in what I do. God, I, I wanna live a life that is pleasing to you, God, but I can't do it on my own. I'm just gonna keep stumbling and falling. God, I, I need you to pick me up and dust me off and encourage me and challenge me. Like, you got this, baby, you got this. You can do this. Go deeper in your walk with me. Press more deeply into me. Trust me that my guardrails for your life are good. They're meant to maximize your joy, not to take away your happiness. So God, would you help us to trust you, to trust your character, to to trust your word, to press into your spirit this week for our good and for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.